Good day, church, and it is good to be with you. Today is the day we decorate for day camp. I can't wait. I know a lot of you are hanging out afterwards today to spend the whole afternoon decorating for day camp. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. We got an amazing crew coming for day camp this week. Um, Pre-registrations, this doesn't count the people who will show up at the door and register tomorrow morning. Pre-registered 230 kids and 140 adult sponsors. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, let's see. The youngest person pre-registered is four years old, and the oldest person pre-registered is 81. So that's a pretty good spread there. Uh, we're excited about that. It's not too late to serve, and it is not too late to attend. Get plugged in. You don't want to miss day camp. It's going to be Awesome. Uh, let's pray for a day camp together. If you will, just, just go to prayer with me. God, we just ask you to bless this week. Bless those who are decorating today and will show up to tomorrow and all the kids that are going to be here. Bless those who are even right now trying to decide, can we make it work? Just let them come, God. And may the work we do together next week just bear magnificent fruit uh, through you and your grace and your glory. Maybe this be something you accomplish. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And come back next week. Uh, we're going to have some day camp stuff sort of invade the worship service next week. So you don't want to miss that. It's going to be good stuff. All right. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, uh, which is this idea uh, that Paul teaches us in Galatians chapter 5. He says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things. There is no law. And that's a great list, right? That is the kind of fruit you want. You know, if you walked in the house and somebody had a bowl of fruit full of that on their counter, you would grab one and you would take a bite. And that's what we discovered last week, is that this fruit is fruit that God wants for us and all of us want. And sometimes our approach to this is to sort of start with the fruit bowl and say, you know, what's wrong with me? Why don't I have all that fruit in my life? Or maybe our approach is to start with the shopping bag, right? And we kind of go to God and say, okay, God, fill it up with the fruit that I want, because I want the fruit. But what we learned last week is that if you look at that list and you're like, oh, okay, I think I'm missing some of the fruit. I think I've got a fruit problem. That a fruit problem is always a root problem. And, and the fruit of the Spirit is not something we produce. It's not something we accomplish, but rather it is produce. It's what God produces in us when we are rooting our lives, anchoring our lives in God. 
And this idea that Paul teaches, we saw Jesus teach it, it's a consistent thing throughout Scripture. In fact, I wonder if maybe Paul, when he taught about the fruit of the Spirit, was remembering Jeremiah chapter 17, uh, where Jeremiah says this. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, He says, if your life is rooted in your flesh, you aren't going to produce the fruit you want. Whose heart turns away from the Lord, that person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. If If that's how your life is rooted, you won't see the fruit. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and it never fails to bear fruit. Jeremiah says, whether or not the tree of our lives bears fruit, it depends everything on where we're rooted. And that if we are rooted in the flesh, if we are rooted in this world, rooted in ourselves, we will shrivel up and become quickly fruitless. And what little fruit we bear will not be fit to eat. But if we root our lives in God, we'll be like a tree that finds a spot right next to a stream. And even when it doesn't rain, there's plenty of water. Even in a year of drought, it bears fruit. And this is, as we're going to see, this is just true. Every week as we come to this fruit, we're going to discover that this is true. That all of the fruit we want is produce. It's the fruit of a life rooted in God. And today, we get to talk about the fruit of joy. Yay! I love that we get to talk about joy. Some part of me, just the thought that we get to talk about joy gives me joy. It just makes me happy even to talk about. But if I'm honest, some little part of me gets nervous. Because, I mean, on the one hand, we all want joy. So I'm going to preach about how you can have more joy in life, and that makes me excited because you want joy, and I want joy for you, and I want joy for me, so that's good. But it isn't just that we want joy. It's that we want joy so desperately. And some of us might even feel a little bit broken by our desire for joy. In seasons of suffering, right? We want joy. In seasons of grief, we wonder if joy is even possible. In seasons of depression, it can feel like our joy has been taken from us and it's nowhere to be seen. In seasons of uncertainty, what joy we had is replaced by anxiety. And so it's it's even a little hard to preach about joy because I know by even talking about it, for some of you, I'm actually opening up some wounds because you're like, I already want joy. Like, you don't have to convince me that I want joy joy. And it isn't just that we want joy, we're actually commanded to be joyful. Paul writes to the Philippian church, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And it would be perfectly legitimate to translate that verse this way, be joyful in the Lord always. Again, I say to you, be joyful. Be joyful. That's the command of God. And I'll just tell you, if that's a command 
that I am supposed to obey on my own strength, on my own power, then I am in trouble. Be joyful always. And what we learned last week and what we'll learn every week is when you look at the fruit and you think to yourself, I have got a fruit problem. Because if you look at the fruit in my bowl, you would not find that it's full of joy. If you think you've got a fruit problem, what we learned last week is that you've really got a root problem. And when it comes to joy, I think a lot of us do have a root problem. I think a lot of us, because we want joy so desperately, we are trying to pursue joy in ways that will never be successful. I see a lot of people in their pursuit of joy, they will root their heart and anchor their attitudes in the soil of their circumstance and hope that that will produce joy. If they can root their heart and anchor their attitudes in the soil of their circumstance and then manipulate their circumstance, maybe that will produce joy. And if that's something you're trying, I just want to observe something with you that I think you already know, but it's a little hard to admit, but we're just going to admit it together this morning, and that's this, that the fruit of a heart rooted in our circumstances will never be joy. That a heart rooted in circumstance does not grow the fruit of joy. We, we think it does. Like we think if I can just manipulate my circumstance and if I get the job that I want, right? If I get the right job, then that will grow joy in my life. Except then you get fired or it turns out you hate the job or your boss is mean or whatever, you know. Or if I get in the right relationship, so many people do this, they chase one relationship after another, just sure, if I can just get with the right people in the right relationship, in the right, then my circumstances will produce joy, except people always let you down. People, oh, people are, there's nobody more disappointing than other people. You know, people, other people are terribly disappointing. I see some people, like it's their health, right? Like they're, they're, they're in such great shape and they're out doing high adventure things and they're skateboarding and bungee jumping and cliff diving and they're just chasing joy. And if they can just cultivate the circumstances to be one amazing adventure, that will produce joy. And again, it does look awesome on your Instagram feed. I'm not lying. I wish I was there with you. But I'm just telling you, what, when your health fades and your health fails, the fruit of a heart, the fruit of a life, the fruit of a soul anchored in circumstance doesn't produce joy. Funerals come at the most inconvenient times. Children, some of us, some of us are, that was our strategy. We're going to find joy. We're going to get married and have two or three kids. And that's going to cultivate the joy. That's how we'll produce joy. And children do bring with them amazing amounts of joy. But children are also terribly disappointing. Right? And terribly, and sometimes heartbreakingly so. And, 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 and so I just, I just want to observe this truth to you, that the fruit of a heart rooted in circumstance, it, it doesn't grow joy. And maybe you're like, maybe I'll win the trophy. And then I'll, if I win the trophy, then I'll have joy. Except here's what you've got to know. Every time one person wins a trophy, a hundred people lose a trophy. And so chasing the trophies of this world is a terrible strategy for producing joy. 
Our world, our world got a really wonderful testimony to this truth uh, this week. Uh, I know I can just tell by looking in the room, y'all are huge softball fans in this room. I can just tell. So you probably know that the uh, NCAA softball championships were last Thursday or something, right? And, and before that, uh, before, right before the game, they interviewed the teams. And I want to play you just a couple minutes from their interview uh, with the, the Oklahoma team that ended up winning the game. Oh, this is before the game. I want you to just listen to this little bit of interview uh, from this softball team. Alex, start with ESPN. For, for the players, I know you talked about keeping the joy of the game, but I'm curious. It's a long season, right? And you guys have had the target on your back the entire time, the win streak being number one. How do you handle the unique pressure that comes with that? How do you keep the joy for so long when anxiety seems like a thing that could very easily set in? Well, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. And any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. Um, I think Coach has said this before, but joy from the Lord is really the only thing that can keep you motivated, um, uh, just in a good mindset, uh, no matter the outcomes. Thankfully, we've had a lot of success this year, but if it was the other way around, uh, joy from the Lord is the only thing that can keep you embracing those memories, moments, friendships, and all of that. So uh, I would, that's really the only, the only answer to that because there's no other way that softball can bring you that um, because of how much failure comes in it and just how much of a roller coaster the game can be. 1,000% agree with Grace Lyons. Um, I went through that my freshman year. I'd I was so happy to win the college. I've talked about this before, but I was just so happy that we won the College World Series, but I didn't feel joy. I didn't have, I didn't know what to do the next day. I didn't know what to do for that following week. I didn't feel filled, and I had to find Christ in that, and I think that is what makes our team so strong is that we're not afraid to lose because if it's not the end of the world if we do lose. Yes, obviously we want to win, but... It's not the end of the world because our life is in Christ, and that's all that matters. Yeah, um, I think a huge thing that we've really just latched onto is eyes up. And you guys see us doing this and pointing up, but we're really like fixing our eyes on Christ. And that's something where, like they were saying, you can't find a fulfillment in an outcome, whether it's good or bad. And um, I think that's why we're so steady in what we do and, and our love for each other and our love for the game because we know this game is giving us the opportunity to glorify God. Mm -hmm. And um, I just think once we figured that out and that was our purpose and everyone was all in with that, um, it's really changed so much for us. And I mean, I know myself, I, I've seen so much of a growth in myself with um, once I turned to Jesus and I realized how he had changed my outlook on life, not just softball, but understanding how much I have to live for, and that's living to exemplify the kingdom. And I think that brings so much freedom. And I'm sure everyone's story is similar, but we all have those great testimonies that have really like shown how awesome it is to play for something bigger. Um, and I think that's just what brings me so much joy. And no matter the outcome, whether we get a trophy in the end or not, we're, this isn't our home, and I think that's what's amazing about it is we have so much more. We have an eternity of joy with our Father, and I'm so excited about that. And yes, I live in the moment, but I know this isn't my home, and um, no matter what, my sisters in Christ will be there with me in the end um, when we're with our, our King. So.
<laughs> I love that answer. That's awesome. I, I love so much about it. I love the little fist bump at the end. They're like, yeah, we nailed it. And they did. They did. There's so much good stuff. They're like, yeah, like, listen, we hope we don't lose. But even if we do, it's just softball. That's not where our joy comes from. And I love the question the guy asked. Like, I don't even know. Like, somehow I wonder, did they pay the guy off to ask that perfect question? He says, how do you keep the joy? It seems like it would be so easy for anxiety to set in. And I don't, and everybody here going, yeah, good question. How do you keep the joy? It seems like it would be so easy for anxiety to set in. Now, I will say, for this to be the perfect sermon illustration, it would have been better if they'd lost the game and then given the same interview. Like, we're still joyful, but it turns out they won, so that's a huge disappointment. But anyways, um, but here's what they understand. If you are rooting your life in your circumstance, if you're anchoring your life in yourself and your flesh and your situation, you might get happiness sometimes. I mean, somebody has to win the Women's Collegiate World Series, right? Might be you. You might get delightful surprises occasionally, but you will also get, along with that, you'll get anxiety and dread and fear and disappointment and despair. Because let's face it, the circumstances of our life are often awful. And they are always uncertain and unreliable. So if that is the soil that the tree of your life is planted in, you might bear something but it won't be joy. But what God's word says again and again and again, and lots of people I know can testify to, like those softball players, is that when your roots are in Christ, joy begins to grow on on branches that you thought were withered up and dry. In fact, that is what Paul actually commanded. It's super important. I sort of misquoted him. Paul does not command rejoice always. That command does not show up in scripture. The command is rejoice in the Lord always. Paul is no fool. Paul absolutely understands that the circumstances of our life are not a sufficient foundation for joy. In fact, Paul writes the letter to the Philippians. He writes in prison having been recently abandoned by his friends as he waits to find out whether he's going to be killed. He is not advocating. Manipulate the circumstances of your life so that you might have a little joy. That's not his command at all. His command is to root your life in Christ so that even in a jail cell when your friends have abandoned you and you're waiting to find out if you're going to die, you can say, I have joy always. And this kind of command shows up all over the place in Scripture. I love this scene in Nehemiah 8. Uh, Nehemiah 8, God's people have been kind of living, ignoring the law for a long period of time. They've forgotten what God wants for them. And Nehemiah gathers the people together and they read the law of God to the people. And as the people hear this, and they're like, oh my goodness, we don't do that at all. They're overwhelmed by their disobedience and they begin to weep and grieve because of their disobedience before God. And in the middle of that, in the middle of their weeping because they've been disobedient to God, this is Nehemiah's instruction. I love this. 
Not go feel guilty, not, oh, you're really bad people, but go enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send, send some to those who have nothing prepared. You've been confronted in your sinfulness. You feel convicted of your sin. Throw a party because this day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah says your strength was never in how good you were anyway. Even when you paid attention to God's law, you weren't that impressive. Your strength is in the Lord. So this day on which you are convicted of sin is a day of rejoicing, not a day of weeping. Did you know that? That any day on which you are convicted of your sin and repent, that is a day of rejoicing, not a day of weeping? John 15, Jesus says this. When my joy is in you, your joy will be complete. That's what Jesus says. Let's just listen to that for a second. Jesus says to you, when my joy is in you, your joy will be complete. We're over here, and understandably so, we're like, God, I want the fruit. Please give me the fruit of joy in this season of suffering. Please give me the fruit of joy in this season of failure. And Jesus says, just seek the root. Because it's only when my joy is in you that your joy will be complete. And I just think to myself, about all the foolish ways we pursue joy in our lives, right? Think about how much destructive behavior is driven by the desire to just feel joy for a second, right? The end of a hard day, we can't face our own grief and sorrow and regret, and so we go drink ourselves into a stupor or use some other jug. Just hope, it'll just give us just that little, little bit of joy. Or, or, or we're convinced that if, if, if we were successful enough, then we would experience the joy we see other people experience. So we go chase success and we work 80 hour weeks and we ignore our family and ignore our friends, and ignore our faith, because if we're just successful enough, we'll get joy. All the things. We binge watch Netflix or we endlessly scroll on Instagram, just hoping we'll come across something that'll make us chuckle just for a second because that chuckling is a little bit like joy, isn't it? And, and we'll just pretend that's joy. And if it doesn't make us chuckle enough, we'll just keep scrolling till we find something that'll make us chuckle a little harder. This is all us trying to root our lives in our flesh, in our world, in our circumstances, hoping that it might produce joy. But we even do this with obedience, don't we? We say, I'm going to keep all the rules and follow the rules and do everything God tells me to do for the hopefully it might just make me, I'll just keep all the rules till I'm joyful. I'm just telling you, as for me, if my joy depends on my moral obedience, my accomplished holiness, I'm in trouble. It's not that I don't seek to obey. It's not that I don't surrender my will to God and hope that God will cultivate righteousness in me. I absolutely do. And obedience does produce blessing. And I, I love the experience of the blessing that comes when I obey God and surrender my life to him. I love that. But I'm just telling you, if I had to choose between being obedient and being saved, I'll pick saved every time. Because my obedience depends on me and I am notoriously unreliable. And my salvation depends on God and he is perfectly reliable. 
And you can just go down the list, all the things people do to try and accomplish joy in their circumstances, in their self. I, I, I want to be skilled. Sure. I hope I'm super skilled. But I would rather be saved than skilled because one day my skills will fail me. I, I want to be comfortable. Who doesn't want to be comfortable? I love being comfortable. But I'd rather be saved than comfortable because the momentary comforts of this world fade and the mercy of my God does not. Wealthy. You know, the Bible says being wealthy is a trap for the soul, but I'm willing to risk it. You know what I'm saying? I would not, I'd take wealth, you know? Let's see. Let's see if I can handle the temptation, God. But you know what I'd rather be than wealthy? I'd rather be saved. I'd rather be rescued. I'd rather be loved. Because wealth withers and fades like the grass. It's gone. And the love of God is eternal. I'd, I'd, I'd love to be successful. That'd be awesome, you know? I, I'd like to, you know, but, well, you know, be successful enough that one day they have to make a Wikipedia page about me. Wouldn't that be cool? But I'd rather be saved. I'd rather be rescued. I'd rather be loved. I'd rather be known by God and unknown by Wikipedia. I would love it if I could never grieve. That's one way people chase joy is they ignore the grief of this world. They ignore the tragedy of this world. They try and cover it up and numb it with you know, sexual pleasure or drugs or, or whatever it is or, or you know, Netflix. They try to numb all their pain. I would love it if I never felt pain again. But I'd rather be saved. I'd rather be known. I'd rather be loved. See, this is my testimony. I mean, everything that we're talking about in God's word here, I know it all to be true. When I seek joy in my skills, in my wealth, in my success, in my pleasure, I never get what I'm looking for. Instead, I get anxiety, depression, fear, insecurity. That is the fruit. When I seek joy by rooting my life in my circumstances and my skills and my flesh, the fruit that grows on the tree of my life is uncertainty and fear and confusion. But when I root my life in the wisdom, will, and word of God, it doesn't happen fast. I wish it happened fast. I wish, as we said, we're not going shopping, right? We're not just walking. Okay, three, three apples of joy, God. Put them in the basket, and then I'll have joy. No, this is slow. We are farmers, not grocery shoppers. When I root my life in God, I see the fruit of joy growing on branches that I thought were shriveled and useless. So I want to get real practical here with you, Okay. Uh, because right now at this stage, you could be thinking, okay, nice metaphor. Okay, great. Root my life in God. Fruit, will, whatever that means or whatever. But maybe you're asking, how do I actually do that? What, is it, what do you mean by rooting your life in God, anchoring your soul in God rather than in circumstances? So I'm going to just talk real practically about what you might want to do in order to, to root your life in God so that this fruit could begin to grow. Okay, real practically. Number one, bring your circumstances and give them to God. Let your circumstances not be the foundation out of which you build your life, but be the reality that you turn over to God. So maybe it's your success. Maybe that's your circumstance right now, is you just won the NCAA Women's Softball National Championships. 
Remember she said she won the championship and she didn't feel joy? That's because circumstances don't bring joy. So you take, maybe you've got great circumstances right now. First thing I would challenge you to do is just say, God, I'm gonna give this to you. All my success, I give to you. All my wealth, I give to you. All my, all my happiness, I give to you. Uh, I got a healthy marriage right now, God. That's a gift. I'm just gonna give that to you because the foundation of my life is not these circumstances, but you. On the flip side, maybe your circumstances are terrible right now. And I would say, if you wanna root your life in God, um, you need to give those to God as well. Because there's a thing that can happen. Maybe you, maybe you know what I'm talking. I want to be real tender because I don't want to kind of, I don't want to wound somebody who's already wounded right now, but I want you to listen to this. Some of you are grieving right now and you have decided to anchor your life in your grief. Some of you are, are suffering right now and you have decided to sort of anchor your life in that suffering and kind of let yourself get stuck there. And I just want to tenderly invite you to instead bring that grief and bring that suffering to God. And just say, hey God, this is my circumstance. And I don't know how I get to joy from here. And so I just want to give this grief to you. I want to give my suffering to you. And I want you to be the foundation on which I build my life. And, and if you could grow some joy, that'd be really great. But I'm just going to focus on the roots. I'm just going to focus on staying rooted in you. That's the first thing I would challenge you to do if you want to root your life in God is to bring your circumstances, good or bad, and give them to God. Number two is I want to challenge you to worship even when you don't feel like it. In fact, I want to challenge you to worship especially when you don't feel like it. Worshiping declares, it's a way that you announce to the world and to your own soul, my life is founded in God. Not in my circumstance. If you showed up today and you're like, I got no worship in me today. Everything in my world has gone bad. Uh, there's no cause for me to worship. I just want to say to you, fine. We didn't show up to worship the world. So yeah, everything in the world has gone bad. We're not here to worship that. We're here to worship God. And God is still good. And that is, I know that's hard to believe sometimes, but the, the work of our worship re-anchors our lives in the goodness of God. That's the second thing I'd say. Third thing I would say, if you want to root your life in God so that you might begin to experience the fruit of joy in your life, I would say you want to stay in God's word even when you don't want to. I just want to give you a couple of examples. Uh, we won't be able to look at them in very much detail. Maybe you'll jot these down or remember these for later. Maybe right now the reason you're struggling with joy is because you're in a season of suffering. Just a lot of stuff in your world is bad. And if that's you, I would encourage you to go check out Lamentations chapter 3. I want to just give you a little bit of what it sounds like. This is by the prophet Jeremiah, who also, the circumstances of his life were bad. That's the technical term for it. They were bad all across the board. Everything was bad. And here's what he wrote. He says, I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. That's my circumstance. He, I say, my splendor is gone, and so is everything that I had hoped for from the Lord. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is gone. 
That's his circumstance. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them. My soul is downcast within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I will say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. And maybe you're in a situation where what it would look like for you to, to uproot, you, you, you've let your roots get too deep into your suffering and you need to kind of uproot from your suffering and root yourself in the good soil of God's love. Maybe you just need to take Lamentations 3 and you just need to read it over and over and over again and just let that be a prayer. Say, God, I am reading this so that I can re-root, re-anchor my life in you. For you are steadfast and you are reliable and there the fruit of joy might grow. Here's another, another one. Uh, sometimes our joy uh, feels like it's been taken from us because of our own sin. Our sin and rebellion and disobedience and, and that can rob us of our joy. And so if that's your situation, uh, you, you might want to check out Romans chapter 7. Again, I don't have time to read the whole thing, but I just want to give you a little bit of it, just a taste of how this might teach you how to re-anchor your life in God, even in a season of sin. Paul writes this, I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. This is, my flesh is too weak. This is my situation. This is my circumstance. Where's the joy in that circumstance that I can't even obey God when I want to? Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And then he just says, he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the same one who teaches us rejoice in the Lord always. Not rejoice in yourself always. You're not worth it. Not rejoice in your circumstances always. They're not that good. Not rejoice in this world always. The world is sometimes gorgeous and sometimes terrible. But rejoice in the Lord. Thanks be to God who rescues me through Jesus Christ. Uh, maybe you're in a season of failure. I don't have time to read it, but you could go look at Acts 16. I love this scene. Paul and Silas are preaching in Philippi and everything's been going great. I mean, they've just been crushing it and people and the church is growing and then suddenly the whole crowd turns against them and they wind up in jail, rejected by the people that they thought they were reaching with the gospel. Maybe you're in a season of failure like that. You were doing stuff and you thought everything was going so great and you thought everything was working and it was even God stuff. Like you were working for Jesus and it all seemed to be working and then it's, it just collapses. Go read Acts 16. You're gonna find out what they did in that jail cell. Some of you know. They worshiped God. How could you worship God in circumstances that Ridiculous. How could you worship God when you're confronted with that much failure? Because they weren't worshiping their circumstance. They weren't worshiping their success. They weren't worshiping their skills. They were worshiping God. And God was still faithful. And God was still reliable. And God was still loving. 
I, I could do lots of these examples. I'll just do one more. Maybe the, 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 the reality of your circumstance that makes it hard for you to experience the joy that God wants to grow in your life is the reality of grief. And we do have a lot of people in our church right now that are grieving. I mean, that's sort of, in some sense, that's always true. But this last week, we've had a lot of families experience loss in this last week. And, and that makes it hard to know joy. But there is an opportunity there because the grief of losing someone brings into sharp clarity the truth we've been talking about today, that the circumstances of your life cannot produce the joy you're looking for. And so if that's you, maybe you want to turn to Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Oh, just look at that for a second. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. If, if we were focused on manipulating our circumstance, we would go back and say, why don't you just get rid of the enemies, God? Why don't you just change my reality so there are no enemies? If the source of your joy was your circumstance, that would be your strategy. But if the source of your joy is God, God says, how about we just feast right here with the enemies all around because I'm here and you're here and that's enough. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Today's sermon is is really pretty simple. It's one of the simplest sermons I've preached in a long time. Uh, three softball players preached this sermon in three minutes. For some reason, it took me a half hour. I'm not sure exactly why. Um, but here's this. Everybody wants the fruit of joy in their life. Like, I don't know anybody who's like, yeah, nah, joy, I can do without joy. This is fruit we want. And it's fruit God wants for us. And we want it so badly that so many of us pursue it in tragically self-destructive ways. We go looking for how we can root our lives in our flesh or root our lives in our circumstance. And we think if only we can manipulate our circumstance or manipulate ourselves enough that maybe we can grow a joy crop. And we can harvest the joy and feast on it. And then we instead harvest a bumper crop of disappointment and regret and uncertainty and fear. We spend all that energy, you know. A new job, that'll, that'll bring me the joy. A new drug, that'll bring me joy, a new hobby, a new relationship. Surely this is where the joy will be found. And if you've been trying this, I mean, you've already figured it out. The fruit of joy does not grow on trees that are planted in this world. The fruit of joy does not grow on trees that are planted in circumstance. You'll grow a lot of fruit, but it won't be joy. But if you will root yourselves in the goodness and steadfast love and mercy of God, 
you'll be surprised what can grow again on branches you thought long since dead. Now, I don't want to pretend with you. I try not to do that. I'm not saying it's going to be like easy or super fast. No human life is beyond grief and suffering still hurts and loss is still real and there will be days that joy seems far away and in those days you will be tempted to go looking for a shortcut. Resist that temptation for that fruit that you desire does not grow in those places. Jesus says, this is his promise. He says, when my joy is in you, your joy will be complete. Let's give, um, let's give Jeremiah the last word today as he reminds us of how to be a tree that bears the fruit we really desire. And then we'll pray and we'll worship some more. Jeremiah 17. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands that they will not see prosperity even when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who puts their confidence in him, who anchors their life, who roots their life in him. They'll be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and it never fails to bear fruit. Right now, we're gonna practice what we preach. We're gonna worship God a little bit today. And if you're here today and you're like, I don't feel like worshiping God. You don't know the circumstances of my life. I, the last thing I wanna do is worship God. If you're here and that's you, I get it. Worship God anyway. This is the thing you need to do to anchor your life in God's goodness. You declare it even when you don't see it. And so would you stand with me right now? I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to worship God together. If today's the day that you need to take a step toward Jesus or need prayer, I'll be over here on the side. I'd love to pray for you. God, right now, let us root our lives again in you. Let us anchor our lives in you. Awaken us right now, God. Some of us need to, to repent, be made aware by your spirit that we have been chasing joy by chasing the circumstances and realities of our life in this world and in our flesh that will never give us joy. Confront us with that truth. Call us to repentance for that is something to celebrate. That is a cause for joy. Anchor our lives in you even as we worship together now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.